This episode of the DLU podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. This podcast is a Believe Network and Luciete production. Welcome to another edition of the DLU Podcast brought to you by Believe Network. I'm your host, Garrett T. Lewis. Um, I want to thank everybody that tuned in to last week's episode, you know, when we, when I talked about, you know, my, you know, experience, you know, on 9-11. And it was, it was a very hard, you know, thing to talk about and to go back to the memory bank, so to speak, and to relive some stuff. But, you know, for those that reached out to me, you know, privately about it, you know, I do appreciate it. And just know that, you know, this, you know, we're not going nowhere. You know, this show is, you know, growing and growing and it's all because of you. So I want to thank each and every one of you that support me and to support this podcast each and every week. You know, this past weekend, you know, I uh, did my ring announcer thing at the uh, East, the famous ECWA, one of the oldest independent promotions in the world. Um, it, it was called A Night of Unusual Matches. You can actually watch the event now on ECWA's YouTube channel. Just look up ECWA, subscribe to their channel, and you can go back in the archives and look at old shows up until the most recent one that we did this past Saturday. And let me tell you, it, it's a bunch of surprises, that's for sure. This week's episode, you know, we're going to, again, talk about some music. You know, I had the opportunity to interview a very talented young lady out of Toronto. Her name is Desiree D, and we talked about everything, you know, talking about how she got into the music business, what led her to, you know, learning how to play piano and singing and everything in between. And let's not wait any longer. My interview with the one and only talented Desiree D starts right now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you, hailing all the way from Toronto, Canada, um, one of my actually favorite places on planet Earth. Um, she's an award-winning Canadian instrumental fusion artist, composer, and producer, the one and only Desiree D. Thank you so much for coming on to the DLU podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Derek. All right. You got it. So let's get right, let's right to this interview. You know, we've uh, we've known each other a while, you know, through the Radio Pushers family and you know, I, I think we've I've done an interview before on their platform, and um, you definitely agreed to come on to this one. I definitely appreciate it. Let's talk about life growing up in Canada, growing up in Toronto. So, what how was life gr- for you growing up in Toronto? Well, I mean, I was born in the city, um, and I spent a couple of years in the city before my parents moved east of the city. So, I actually lived, spent most of my years east of the city, and grew up, went to school there. Um, 
elementary school, high school was pretty normal for me. Um, and then when I did my undergrad studies at university, I went back to Toronto, which is always going to be home for me. Mm-hmm. Studied there, uh, studied, uh, went to Teachers College, everything. I work in Toronto. So even though I grew up outside of the city, Toronto is always going to be home for me. And everything that I do music-wise is always in Toronto. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, I Like I said, I've been there three times for vacation purposes. And let me tell you, every time I'm, I'm in this, I'm in Toronto, you know, nothing but love. Seriously. I I've actually thought about maybe moving there someday, but let's talk about, you know, when you, first, when music entered your life, how old were you? And was it an artist that you listened to? Which artist was it that, you know, that kind of captured your imagination as far as, you know, being a fan of music? Well, growing up, um, my dad was actually, the musician in the house like in the 80s he was part of a group he sang he plays bass he plays guitar uh he was the one that actually um saw the musical talent that i had from a really young age i think i was around three when they noticed it but they didn't put me in lessons until i was about six so my parents were the main motivators in me getting into music but throughout my journey um alicia keys was a big influence on me I grew up with her in high school and um, played a lot of her music. I was that kid that went on the internet and was trying to find all of her sheet music. And then I would play it at school and the kids would, um, you know, ask for different requests. So if I didn't know the song, I would go look it up and I would listen to it and then try to play it for them. So um, she was a really huge influence in the earlier stages. Yeah, I've seen her live. I seen her live at Radio City Music Hall um, in 2005. As a matter of fact, John Legend opened up for her, believe it or not. And just seeing the talent, you know what I mean? I mean, she's incredible. I mean, songwriter, you know, composer, you know, mm-hmm. she's, the, she's the real deal. You know what I mean? And I really appreciate the authenticity that comes out of her, her pores. You can just yeah. feel the passion about what she does, you know, and, you know, in that. So, So you started, so you said your dad got you into it. So how did you, like, so did, were you self-taught with piano and voice or how did that all, how did it all come to be? How did you start like really, okay, start taking lessons and things? Yeah. So I grew up in church and when I was a young kid, like I was a part of the church choir and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my dad, well, both my parents actually noticed the gift and they didn't put me in lessons until I was six years old. So I was classically trained. Uh, for 13 years and I worked with several different teachers but obviously back in the 90s like there wasn't a lot of representation especially for black teachers and I didn't see any of that in the 90s and um, it just so happens that I was taking lessons at a music school and my dad saw a black lady there and he decided to go up to her and ask her if she taught there and she said yes so he ended up transferring me uh, to her and I was up at a point in my life where I was just over music I didn't want to do it I wanted to you know play sports and all of that and then I made a really amazing connection with her and she didn't make it just about piano it was about like getting to know who I was as a person and I felt like that was really important in my journey and I saw music in a different way because it wasn't just about playing it was like this lady actually wants to get to know me and you know what I do outside of here so that just made me enjoy the process of learning even better because she would take the time to actually ask me how my day was and 
she would get me involved in um, the recitals. I got to play for the parents when they were coming in. It was great. And we had that relationship for a long time before she went on maternity leave. And then I went off to university at that point. And uh, high school is where I really started enjoying music. And as I said earlier, like Alicia Keys was a huge influence on me. And just the praise and the adoration that I got from friends at school and really realizing that I could do this thing. So I continued my studies in university, got my degree in music, and then I became a teacher and went to teacher's college and got my teaching degree. And it was at that point while I was in teacher's college that I just had this desire to finally come out of this box that I had been put in for so many years to share my music and just listening to the industry on a whole there wasn't any representation for like women musicians never saw them never heard of them Mm -hmm. in Canada and I was like I want to be the first one to to do it and so I decided to go in that direction and life after that just kind of started going up for me when you said when you said earlier about your teacher, you know, because I've actually taught to, you know, I'm a I'm a drummer. I did um marching percussion for I've been doing I've been involved in the, the marching arts since 1991, and the one thing I will say as far as with anybody that I've ever taught is that it was it was definitely deeper than just the instrument. It was deeper than them, you know playing because at the end of the day that's going to come but it's more or less the human being behind the instrument that i was more interested in in regards to molding them into you know helping mold them because obviously they have the parents and everything you know yeah. but mold help mold them and be a part of their journey and they can remember and i mean i i remember plenty of my teachers that i've had over the years instructors or whatever that i hold them in a high regard because of the quality that they added to my life yeah. Because they saw something deeper than just me being a drummer. They they wanted to know the human being behind the drummer. And thus, mm-hmm. you know, they were able to kind of just see it through and help me see it through. And thus how I was able to get better at what I was doing. So back when you were saying, as far as that really hit me, because I'm like, yeah, it really goes to show you. It, all it takes is one teacher yeah. to really, when they believe in you and when they can really see the vision and they can say, okay, and they're going to really invest, 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 and then thus, boom. It's almost like watering flowers, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then that thing's going to just bloom, you know? Exactly. So you were alluding to it, so let's, write, let's hop into it. I know you've said around 2014, you know, when you decided that you were going to, you know, take this, you know, seriously in regards to being, if you want to call it, a, a professional recording artist and that type of thing. So what was it that triggered it? That said, hey, I need to go out there and do this on my own and do this to the best of my ability and be the, you know, there's not, a, to your point, not a lot of representation in regards to women, because you don't see a lot of women, you know, it, especially on the instrumental side of things, you're doing a lot of instrumentals, it's mainly men, yeah. you hear it, you know, you may hear women as far as the vocal, on the vocal side, but you mm-hmm. rarely see or hear about women being on the instrumental and the production side in which I, I mean, we need more women representation in general. So what let, so what were some of those things that triggered that and go off from there? Well, the first thing really was I was tired of hiding my talent 
that's a, that was a big thing. And for years I hid from people. Like I have friends who know, you know, my capabilities and, you know, they would kind of like expose me and say like, Oh, Desiree is amazing. She does this and she does this. And I would kind of like, be like, no, like I don't want the attention. Like I don't like attention put on. Oh, me. I wanted to ask, I want if I, and I don't like, I don't like really interrupting. What was causing you to hide? Oh gosh. Um, I think that at that point in my life, I wasn't confident in myself, mm -hmm. right? There was a lack of confidence there. And I guess I didn't think that I was good enough. Mm -hmm. So I hid. So when people would, you know, big me up and say like, oh, she's amazing. I'd be like, no, no, I'm not. I'm just, you know, average. Like I'm not that great. You know, I'd kind of put myself down. So I would keep myself in this box, but I think it was going through university, having that university experience, like mm -hmm. in music and um, learning to break through some of the things that I was struggling with. Like I'm coming from a classical background and going into jazz. It was a very hard transition for me mm -hmm. because jazz is free. Classical is regimented. So very, it was very regimented. regimented to being more free in my playing. Mm -hmm. Right. And then also um, I had written my first song when I was 15 and I came up with all these complex chords and I didn't know what they were. So I went to university to figure out what I was doing. So when I started figuring out what I was doing and kind of building on that confidence of like, okay, so I kind of know what I'm doing now. Um, many years later, I was like, okay, I have all these songs that I've written. I want to finally break out of this confidence shell that I've kind of suppressed myself in for a long time and really share so I put out my first song in 2014 as a tester just to see how people would respond to things mm -hmm. that I have recorded. So I put it out and people were saying, oh my gosh, like this is so good. Like, what are you doing? You need to put out more music. You should put out more music. This is something you should do. So after recording that song, I realized that instrumentation, I enjoyed putting together instrumentation, putting together, um, you know, different melodies and different sounds. Um, just kind of telling my story through instruments. And mm -hmm. as I said earlier, though, that was something that I felt was missing in the industry. Um, they tend to put Black women in a box and assume that we are mm -hmm. only capable of singing and we're not mm -hmm. capable of other things. And growing up in the church, I saw that every church I went to, all the men were in the band, controlling right. the music. All the women were on stage singing. And I was like, I don't like this. I want to change that. Like, where are the women? I want to see more women in the pit handling and, you know, leading the band. So I decided, let me go in that direction and really show people that there's more to the industry than vocalists and rappers and men kind of dominating that arena. Agreed. Agreed. So that was the, the second major motivator of me, like really wanting people to see something different. Obviously, when you want to bring something different to the industry, it takes a while for people to get used to it. So of course, in the first maybe four years of my career was tough because I'm bringing something that's totally different. People have never seen this thing before. And it was very difficult to maneuver. It was hard to get my music played on radio out here in Canada, because again, this is something new. Canada's never seen this before. And it's funny, like when people ask me, they're like, yeah, so how has it been with like radio and getting yourself played? And I said, well, I had a really hard time in the first four to five years of my career. And as a matter of fact, I didn't get my first radio play uh, in Canada. It was in the U.S. And the U.S., I had a major market in the U.S. for what I do. And I think it's just like in terms of just the appreciation 
And I feel like the musicianship in the US, like there's a better appreciation for it than it is in Canada, right? And people are going to be people. People are going to like what they like and people are just going to be used to what they want to be used to. Right. And they're not open. So and that was the struggle that I had in the first mm-hmm. maybe four to five years. That's incredible. And I was going to ask what some of those challenges were. You basically answered it for me. Um, it, it's, 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 again, it's a very, very hard business. You know what I mean? You know, in, in many aspects, especially for women, you know, as you can see, you know, if it's not sexualized or whatever the case, then people, some people think it's not marketable because mm-hmm. you're not, sh- you're not showing your goodies or whatever the case may be. And I'm just like, I think you're, you're really dumbing down the, the industry, you're dumbing down the art because granted, is it room for it? Sure. But I think you need to make room for others too, because if you're only going to put women in this certain box, there's no progression there. And yeah. thus it's going to make it harder for people to say, well, Desiree D, all she does is play a piano. She can't do Well, what's wrong with that? I would rather have somebody in my wheelhouse that a woman in my wheelhouse that in my production is doing production and all these other things to really be the focal point. Because again, I feel as though if you, if you market it, they'll come. Yeah. It's all about how much marketing you really put and whether it, whether you're signed or whether you're independent, obviously on the independent end is a yeah. heck of a lot harder to, to market yourself. But at the same time, even if you're signed, you'll have this, this major budget behind you, Alicia Keys, yeah. I don't think people took to her at first in the beginning. No, you know what they, I mean? The, the no. things that they were saying about her because she had a little bit of a of a of a of a edgy look in the beginning when she had the braids and everything. And she acquiesced to a certain extent, but kept the authenticity of her music and really making that the focal point. You know what I mean? Because when you think Alicia Keys, you think about the piano, you think about yeah. her voice, you think mm-hmm. about really, really deep lyrics. You, you hear about that type of stuff. She's talking about love and all these other things. So that uh, it can be marketed, but is what is whether the suits want to do it or not, you know? So with that, let's talk about the creative process. And when you're doing these instrumentals, what, how for you because i get again because i only write lyrics right i may have a tune in my head but how do you come up with a concept with no lyrics in mind but you're just saying hey i'm just going to just see where this goes talk about that creative process yeah so before i answer that i just wanted to tag on something that you said earlier about Misha keys and how you know you see the piano in her voice so here's the thing because people are so used to hearing the voice they're not used to somebody coming out with just instrumentals with no no lyrics. So of course, there's gonna be like, well, how do you tell your story through just instruments? So my creative process is this. It's never the same. When I come into the studio, it's never the same. It's not regimented. I don't have a plan when I come into the studio. Mm-hmm. I create based on my mood. I create based on life experiences that I've gone through. and. I tie those life experiences or those moods into melodies. Mm. And then those melodies, I create around those melodies. So for example, if I went through a tough time uh, and I had to you know, really work through getting out of that rough patch, I'd create a melody that describes that rough patch that I went through. And then I would build a song right. around it. Around right? that thought. So right, right, right. Yeah, so I'm coming from that perspective where 
um, you have lyrics and then you have to build music around the lyrics. However, my experience is, is the melodies and building around the melodies. Got it. Got it. Got it. Now, just going through your catalog a little bit, you know, I, I know they may you may have put out some stuff before, you know, 2016, but in 2016, you you debuted the album 20. It's an eight track um, album, I believe, called 20. Yes. And interesting, you know, just eight tracks, but it was a start. It, it seemed like it was a start of some really good stuff. So talk about the process of making that, making your first album entitled 20. So the process behind putting out that album, I actually had gotten a job at uh, a music store and I was teaching there um, mm -hmm. in 2014. So I think I had gotten that job two months before I put out my first single. Mm -hmm. And um, while I was working there, I would be creating. So in between students or I would go mm -hmm. to work early and I would just create music. And that entire project I created at work. So in those moments where I wasn't teaching and I had those gaps in between, I was creating because I had the space to do it. Right. right. Mm -hmm. um, so that entire album I wrote while I was at work. So all those ideas that I came up with and, um, you know, just the titles, I got help with the titles back then, but every single right. song on that project I wrote at work believe it or not. And then I took it home and GarageBand I was using at the time and I just recorded mm -hmm. the keys. And then um, I recruited some friends who also played instruments to play um, drums and bass for me. And then I took it to an engineer and he mixed and mastered it. And I put it out in 2016. I had a release party. And then I also released a second project, which is not on um, outlets. Um, I did a Christmas album because also while I was at work, <laughs> I came up with that album as well too. And it was just like a showcase of different arrangements of some of my favorite Christmas songs growing up as a kid. And I put that album together and I did a second release party that same year. So I did both of those projects in the same year. And all of wow. those songs were written at work. <laughs> you know, John Singleton, the, 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 the late great film director, John Singleton, obviously Boys in the Hood, um, yeah. you name it, name the movie, he's done it. Um, I don't know if you know the origin of um how he wrote Boys in the Hood. He was actually an intern at the Arsenio Hall show. Wow. And was wow. in between whatever, he was writing Boys in the Hood. You know what I mean? So, ladies and gentlemen, if there's anybody that's out there, and I am living proof of this too, if you have a dream, if you have a talent, if you have a passion for something, and let's just say you do have that nine to five, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I still have my nine to five, but don't let that stop you from achieving your goals and dreams. If you may have to, if you got a song, you know, that you, if you have like a melody you have in your mind, you should use your voice, your voice app and just, and just sing it, hum it. So you have it, you have it there already. We have all these tools, you know, at our arsenal. And we can use it any time. You know what I mean? We can use it any time. So never, never let your circumstances stop you from doing that. And Desiree made a really, really good point about that. And when you said that, it reminded me of the story I heard about John Singleton. I'm like, my God, that's a, the same, similar. And everyone has that similar story too, you know? Now, on that note, though, 
the pros and cons of putting out a full album versus singles and EPs. What, it, what, it, what in in the modern day with music, obviously with streaming being the focal point at this juncture, no one's really buying music anymore. What's your thought process as a creative with do, doing sing? Is it is it more lucrative to do singles slash EPs or full albums? In your opinion, well, if I think back to the industry from the time that I was born in the 90s. Um, obviously, like albums were the focal point back then because a lot of the industry in the early stages was musicianship. Musicianship was rich in that time. Yeah. And yeah. I think as time progressed, people's attention spans started dropping as well to where people weren't listening to full albums anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you would see artists going from full albums to sing to EPs, so smaller projects to now singles. And as an artist myself, I also had to adjust to that change as well, especially during the pandemic where, mm-hmm. you know, we were all stuck at home. We right. couldn't do nothing. But also you could see the attention spans of people complete dropping because really all they had at their disposal was social media, right? right. Um, that's when TikTok came out and, you know, people were more involved on instagram right and you know the having 30 second clips and 15 second clips like people weren't listening to full length things anymore and as an artist i had to adjust to that because i was used to creating three four minute songs i had to cut down my songs to like one minute one and a half two minutes two minutes and 30 seconds there was a a point in that um, era where i was not dropping songs more than two and a half minutes because i knew the attention span and then also I stopped releasing full projects, I think, in 2019 or something like that. And I was just dropping singles, right? And in 2020, 2021 specifically, I was dropping a single every single month, right? Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I was going to talk about that, right? Yeah, to keep up with the times, but also to stay relevant. People were dropping singles more often because they realize that people aren't taking in projects anymore. There's like a very small percentage of people that still appreciate a full project. But if you take the industry and just people as a whole, attention spans are shrinking. So if you can have like consistent music dropping like once a month, people are going to listen to it versus dropping an entire project. This episode of the DLU podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, Flavors are colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the d podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. Wow, yeah, I mean, very well said. And on that note, you know, you, you brought up TikTok. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's 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 talk about this for a second. This woman has built a strong, loyal digital community and has been able to garnish over 30,000 organic followers over and over 1.5 million real human video views on TikTok. 
what are your what's your best content marketing strategy? You know what I mean? As far as that, how do you approach it for you? And yeah, what works so, so I'm gonna have to go all the way back to TikTok, Instagram days because it was Instagram before there was a TikTok, right? And I this goes back to me um, and just my confidence and building my confidence and realizing that in order to be seen, I have to actually put myself out there. So that's the first step. I have to actually put myself out there. So and from the Instagram point of view, I was posting um, covers. That's what I started with. Started with covers because I'm like, okay, people like a good cover. So I would choose popular songs and I would just cover them on piano and post them. Then I started getting um, requests for people. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So because of that, I started a series called Cover Tuesdays. It started that in 2017. That was about four years after I got Instagram. Got and it. I said that, okay, if I really want to be seen, I have to be consistent with this series if I'm going to do it. So oh, I called it Cover Tuesdays because I post covers every Tuesday. And I posted a cover. I dedicated myself to posting a cover every single Tuesday for, I did it for about five years straight. And right. Because of the consistency, I started getting noticed. Obviously, in the beginning, I wasn't getting reviews like that, but it was the level of consistency that I had to do that. And because of that, that broke into other different series that I did, like Daily Vibes, which I did during the pandemic. Um, I started collaborating with people because I started meeting people on social media to collaborate with them. Right. And then I built my content creation off of Instagram. When TikTok came up in 2020, I wasn't really on TikTok like that uh, because it was mostly trends that people were doing, right? And I'm not really a trend person. I don't really follow trends. I am right. a trend. So <laughs> I was already building myself as a trend. So I didn't really follow the trends. I mean, I tried, but I just couldn't do it because it wasn't authentic. And I Agreed. believe in being authentic to myself and not trying to copy everybody else, but be who I am. So it was in 2021. I had a friend of mine. She told me, she said, that's where you should really go back on TikTok. And I was, you know, going back and forth about it because I had all these other social media apps to keep up with and to keep up with right. content. It was a lot. So I finally decided, okay, fine, I'm going to do it. So I went back April. Two months after that, my Instagram account got hacked. Lost I rem everything. I want to say I, rem I remember that. <laughs> I remember lost, that. Yeah, lost, right. lost everything that I had built for, at that point, it was eight years. But luckily, I keep all my stuff in my phone. So what I started doing was I was repurposing my content, posting whatever I was posting on Instagram, on TikTok. So all those videos that I was posting on Instagram, I posted them on TikTok. Yeah, I wasn't getting much views, whatever, like maybe three, 400 views at the time. And I think I had maybe 100 followers mm -hmm. at the time. And it was in January of 2022. Um, I posted a cover that I did on Instagram after I'm like rebuilding my Instagram account still. Posted a video and I said, maybe I should post this on TikTok. So I decided to post it on TikTok. And I wasn't on TikTok like that because I was focused on rebuilding my Instagram account. And I just left it alone. So I decided, I think a few months after I opened back the app and I noticed that that video was really getting Notice. And I was like, oh, okay. It went from 300 views to 1,000 views, 2,000 views. And my following count started going up. Mind you, I wasn't using any of the hashtags that they were telling you to use on TikTok. I was using my own hashtags at oh, that wow. point. Yeah. And that video blew up to 50,000 in less than three months. And I was like, if I'm pulling these numbers, let me see if I can try something. So because I'm a teacher, 
And a lot of my content now is for educational purposes. purposes right. I decided to start a, a series on what series was I doing? Uh, I think it was like, you know, different music concepts. Mm-hmm. And I was pulling the same numbers, like 10K, 20K. And I was like, okay, cool. So um, somebody who follows me on TikTok was like, can you post shout music stuff? Now, I'm not a fan of shout music. But I said, let me get out of my comfort zone here and let me do a series on shout music. So I did. I posted two parts. The second part that I posted, I kid you not, in less than 24 hours, 20,000 views. So now that is my second most viewed video at 106,000 to date. And my just numbers just kept going up, 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 because I was posting content and people were like, give us more of this. And now, um, I think at that point, um, I was just doing like five part series. I would come up with a concept and I would do five parts of it. That would come stretch up with it out, concept, stretch it out, right. Parts, stretch it out, right. Um, and then by the end of, I think it was 2022, nine months, I hit a million views worldwide. And I think Incredible. at that point I was at just under 20,000 followers. Okay. Um, to now, I'm at almost 3,000. I think I'm at about 26 and a half right mm-hmm. now. Almost 2 million views to date. And I have a series called Four Chord Worship that I started at the end of last year that is blowing up right now. It's at over 500,000 views. That's remarkable. And I mean, you carved uh, a, a lane for yourself. You fi- you figured you, you, were, you were using your own hashtags because I think a lot of times what people, the b- biggest misconception is, <laughs> Oh, use the popular hashtags, but if everyone's using it, you're not going to really find your way through the cracks. So if you create your own path, your own lane, you know, you'll be able to garner that type of viewership, you know, in that way. Now, mm-hmm. who do you talk to when you feel stuck? And I'm what I mean by that is, you know, we all have writer's block and we have all those things. Who do you talk to when you feel stuck? And what's your process of going through that when you may have some writer's block? Uh, well, I talked to Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Being honest, right? Um, but I did, there was a period in time when I did go through writer's block. It was about four years into my career. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just at a bad spot. And I was also at a crossroads where I just didn't know what else to do mm-hmm. career-wise. And um, I realized at that point that I wasn't utilizing all of gifts and talents that I had. I was so laser focused on playing the piano that I didn't even realize like, okay, I play 15 instruments. People don't know that. I play multiple instruments. I was not using that. Um, My thing was I was always relying on outside sources to help me put out music or help me to do things, realizing that I can do all these things myself. So I was sleeping on myself. Let's just be honest. I slept on myself at that point. And when I made that realization, I was like, oh my goodness, I can do all these things. I don't need to ask anybody for help. I can just do it myself. And then I was using GarageBand at the time and I made a discovery that I did not realize until I made this epiphany. And when I made that discovery, that literally changed the way that I wrote my music. And me going through writer's block was me not utilizing the gifts that I had. Now I'm not gonna say that writer's block um, isn't gonna happen again, right? But a lot of the times I write based on experience and I don't 
just put out music just for the sake of putting it out. Music, right. right? Just like, I, I, I have to resonate with me. I have to go through something in life um, in order for ideas to come. And I think sometimes um, we go through writer's block because maybe we're not thinking about, you know, life experiences or mm-hmm. maybe we just haven't gone through something that gives us a reason to write. But mm-hmm. I also wouldn't um, not, or I wouldn't just rely on that. Like for me to get out of writer's block, I have to constantly be coming up with ideas, even if they suck. <laughs> Keep throwing stuff on the wall to a sticks, right? <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. And I think that um, when we go through writer's block, sometimes we just don't do anything. We just, you know, sit and we wail in that writer's block and we're like, well, I can't come up with anything. Just still stimulate your brain with something, yeah. even if it's if it's not good enough, like at least you're actively trying to get out of this block so that's for for me if i'm going through a phase where i just cannot figure out things i'm still going to fool around with ideas or maybe do something else like continue with my content for example because that's what i've done also where i've just continued to put out the content and then in that content i come up with an idea and then i lay it wow incredible what's the best advice anyone has ever given you about the industry um, the biggest advice, well, I mean, outside of consistency, because that's the number one advice I give people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just something that I realized on my own. But um, the best advice that I've given, I have been given is having a solid team. Now, I have been an independent artist for going nine years um, in November, and I have done everything myself. I have self-marketed. I have spent my last daughter, my last dollar on my music. Every song that I have put up to date, I have self-funded. I have never gotten a single grant. I have never gotten a handout. I've done it all myself. And that just goes to show you how much I believe in myself, right? Mm-hmm. I was the booking agent. I was the manager. I was. To, it was, don't ask me how I did it, but I did it. Social media manager, I, the, social media, the, the everything. everything, right? And I, um, it was hard in the beginning because again, I was doing everything and then also still expected to put out music. So I had to learn to let go of some responsibilities and it was, it was not easy. It's not easy to do that because I was in a space where I didn't trust people and Mm, certain people, um, they don't, when you don't understand the vision, I can't work with you if you don't understand my vision. Right. So I had management briefly for about three, four years. And even that was still difficult, right? And and then in the midst of having management, I was learning to let go of certain responsibilities. So I started building a team. Um, so I went through a transition in engineers. I let go of my old engineer, went to a new engineer. He's been amazing. And my stuff has sounded great because of him. So I have him in my back pocket. Um, I teamed up with a, a producer in the U.S., which we just met on Facebook by happenstance. So he helps me out with some of my production, which has elevated my music. So I have that in my back pocket. Um, I met a artist consultant on Twitter, of all places, Twitter, and she helps me with all of my um, administrative stuff. So I don't have. To, I never have to write a press release anymore. <laughs> I never have to write a music resume anymore. I never have to write an email anymore. She does it for me. 
because it's me letting go of responsibilities, but I also had to develop these relationships over time. I'm just right. not going to hand over you my stuff and expect you to do it if I don't have some sort of relationship. The relationship building is also very important, very important. in this industry, right? Because you never know when you really need something and then you can go back to these people that you've built relationships with and be like, listen, I need your help with this, right? And I pride myself on building relationships with people Right. And because there has to be a connection there and, and it has to make sense. It has to work. If it doesn't make sense and if it doesn't work, then I can't use you. Right. So it was really important for me to build relationships with people um, and then also have a team. So if I could give advice to people, those would be the two things that I would say. Wow. Super important, you know, and even I had to learn that lesson too. Um, I just, my music video just came out today as we're recording this right now. Um, and this was the very first time where I was completely hands off with all production of the music video. And that was hard because, yeah. and it took for them to tell me, look, man, listen, you've had enough in your plate as it is. All you have to worry about on this shoot is being a recording artist. We got the rest. And I said, yeah. okay. And they they re they handled everything, you know, beautifully. So that was a very valuable lesson to me as far as like, you know, maybe you got to vet people a little bit in regards to seeing who they are and all that, you know, ask questions and everything else. But for the most part, that's how you really build. And, and then they can, and that relationship can lead you to some someone else that can handle other things, whether it's, you know, PR or, or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I think... The, the key is, as you say, the, the key part of network is work. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like that's the, and that's the other thing that people forget. You can network all day long until the cows come home. But if you're not working towards building those relationships, it really doesn't mean zilch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So super important. Now on that note though, you know, collaborations that you've done now, You've backed a number of Canadian artists such as Mel uh, Melanie Durant, Kim Davis, Comortal, TRP. Um, my goodness. I mean, the list goes on and on. Tafari Anthony, Zaki Abraham. How are you building a lot of these collaborations with these artists and you know, in, in Canada and in part in the US? How are you doing that with these collaborations? So a lot of me being able to connect with these artists was my presence on social media had a lot to do with it. And this goes back to me being consistent. And that also the relationships that I have built over the years with people that know them and then send them to me. So I've been able to play with a lot of people because of that. And I, those are important things like being consistent, um, knowing your, your craft, working towards your craft, building relationships and having good solid relationships. That's how I've been able to amass a lot of collaborations and then also being able to play uh, for people in Canada and also the people in the U.S. Amazing. Now, before we get out of here, um, any future projects that you're working on that's that's going to be coming out in, you know, in, in, in the very near future? So I just announced my brand new single, Fuse. Uh, that I'm going to be releasing on October the 10th. I teamed up with a Connecticut producer by the name of Trail Beats. So that will be coming out on October 10th. So you can pre-save that by clicking the link in my Instagram bio. And secondly, I'll be releasing the second part of my Christmas EP, Moments of Christmas. So the second movement will be coming out 
um, later on this year. Got it. Got it. And where can everybody find you on social media? So everybody can find me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Those are the social media platforms that I'm the most um, consistent on at Desiree D Music. Um, you can find me on YouTube as well, Desiree D. Uh, and you can listen to all of my music on all streaming platforms, including Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, Desiree, you know, this has been a long time coming for you coming on the D-Loop podcast. Again, I wish you all the best. Um, I hope we can collaborate on something soon because I think, you know, I've always said I wanted to work with, and I, I, even before we met, I was like, where, where are the female producers? Where are they? Where are they? And then here you are. So I would love to, you know, talk with you about some stuff in a, in a, in a very near future. We could discuss some things, but again, thanks for stopping by and, um, We'll definitely be talking soon for sure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You got it. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the D-Loop Podcast. Again, I want to thank Desiree D for taking the time out of her busy schedule to come talk to us. And I wish her nothing but the best in all of her future endeavors in the music industry because she's truly, truly, really talented. Um, this Saturday, I have the world-famous Mazda Factory for the fourth annual Larry Sharp Memorial Cup Tournament. That's right. Fourth annual, I can't believe it. You know, the first, you know, I can still remember doing the first one in 2020, right before the pandemic, and Shaheem Ali winning that one. You know, the 2021 uh, Bobby was won by Bobby Buffet. You know, last year 2022 was by Sean Venor. What's up, Sean? Go Pats! And you know who's gonna win it this year? Let us all find out. Tickets are on sale now at MasterFactory.org. You can always come to the door as well. Um, the day of the show special start time at 2 p.m so make sure you get there early okay so you can get, get yourself a really really cool seat and watch some really awesome action by the wrestlers of the world famous monster factory also too make sure that you check out on apple tv if you haven't done so already monster factory you know right now just to let you all know that it's nominated for an award I, like seriously, it's it's nominated for an award right now at the British Documentary Awards. It's going to be taking place on November the 9th. So just know that you know the Monster Factory is is going places. We're moving in the right direction. But make sure you definitely support the docu series. It's a six part docu series, about thirty minutes each, and it really highlights you know the the ins and outs of the world of professional wrestling. And even if you're not into pro wrestling. It really teaches you all about, you know, lessons about life. So even if you're not a wrestling fan, if you don't like wrestling at all or whatever the case, you know, it would it, everyone can relate to these stories that you'll see on Master Factory. Don't forget my single, Espacion, featuring Angie Starts, is out. You know, make sure you stream it on all platforms. The music video is on Vivo, Apple Music, Tidal, YouTube, etc., etc., etc. So make sure you go... Watch it on Vivo YouTube, leave a comment, you know, press like, subscribe to my YouTube channel, you know, also follow me on social media. All my social media on all platforms is the real DT Lou, except Facebook, and Facebook is Derek T. Lewis official page. Make sure you go to my merch my merch store, shop.derektlewis.com so you can get some cool hoodies and tees. You know, the, the new Espacion t-shirt is out now. Make sure you get it and support the movement. We're going places, y'all. Well, I'm going to get out of here. And just remember, no matter what it is you do in life, always remember to make it count. See you next time.